Welcome to The Brand Collective, a podcast about our favorite brands, featuring stories from the marketers and creatives behind them. I'm your host, Nick Ross. With me, Mackenzie Koss, marketer extraordinaire. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Brand Collective podcast. Today, we have Zach Koss, the managing art director at Shutterfly, and my sibling. Welcome, Zach. We're so excited to have you on. Thanks so much. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, we're uh, we're so excited not only for to get to meet and talk to Mackenzie's brother, but also uh, you've led a pretty incredible creative life. Um, do you mind catching our audience up to speed on your creative journey and how you landed at the role you currently are at Shutterfly? Sure. Yeah, I can certainly do that. I'll uh, I'll go way way back. So. My interest in kind of creativity and graphics and, and design and drawing started as a little kid watching Saturday morning cartoons with my siblings. And uh, yeah, I remember drawing Ninja Turtles and making books of the Ninja Turtles when I was a kid and uh, taking them into school. And uh, my teacher kind of like put them up on the wall. And that was a big deal to me to kind of get that recognition. And I think that definitely reinforced um, my creativity and kind of going public with it and sharing it with the world, I guess, so to speak. Um, at the time, of course, I didn't think of it that way, but just in hindsight, it definitely seems like a like a, a pivotal moment for me. Yeah, what an amazing thing just validation is and encouragement. Like, this is great. You should show people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And that it, was, it wasn't, you know, a, a school activity. It was just something I kind of did on my own. Um, it felt good to kind of have my own projects and I continue to do stuff like that today, which I'll get into a little bit more later. But, um, but yeah, from there, um, yeah, I was in art classes and, and kind of pursued creativity on my, on my own, but also in school, um, throughout high school and whatnot. Um, and then in college is where I got a little bit more serious in terms of what I was going to study. I started out studying illustration, which is uh, sort of like the precursor to graphic design. I think it has a lot of overlap there, but it's not as um, uh, viable commercially, I think, as it maybe used to be and versatile and just doesn't really apply to as many areas that design can. Um, so I was doing illustration and then I kind of heard about graphic design. And once I started looking into it, it sort of made sense to me. I was a little hesitant at first because it relied on computers so much. And I just was not very computer savvy at the time and did a lot more analog stuff creatively with um, drawing and painting and stuff like that. But once I learned about it and what it actually was, I was like, oh, this is such a perfect fit. Why did I not why did I not make this connection before? Um, just as a consumer, you know, and as a as a as a kid coming up with like music and movies and all the things that graphic design touches um, had a big impact on me. And so, yeah, that was some of the first type of work that I did too uh, in college. It was like making gig posters for my friends' bands, uh, working on logos for my friends. Um, I designed a logo for one of my professors and got paid like $80 for it. It was a big deal at the time. I think that was my first like oh, paid gig uh, yeah. while I was in college. Feels yeah. so good. Get that cash yeah, money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. And just like having the skills and know-how because it wasn't a super creative project. It was literally like taking a Ford Mustang logo with this other thing logo is into and kind of mashing them together. I was like, sure, I know how to do that. And that's that's. It was pretty easy, easy work. Um, but it was just a, a very validating, again, validating uh, 
experience to know, okay, I have these skills that not a lot of people have or some people don't have, and I can I can use that to, yeah, make money and, and kind of make my place in the world. Um, so yeah, from there, kind of like towards the end of college, I got more and more freelance gigs. Another kind of cool experience that I recall, I think it was one of my last semesters in undergrad was, um, creating a logo for a film festival, a progressive film festival on campus. And I remember seeing it out in the wild, seeing people wear it on shirts and seeing it on stickers and being so stoked and not even wanting recognition, but just knowing, okay, I made this thing and now it's out in the world and people are interacting with it. And it's solving some problem or it's communicating something, but just knowing that people were using it was super satisfying. And that's one of the things to this day that kind of keeps me going if I get to see that. And I have a couple times since then um, had similar experiences where I'm kind of in a crowd of people or I'm around people and there's maybe something that I made that's in the mix in one sh way, shape or form. And it makes me super happy to see that. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love those sort of watershed moments where you're like, wow, my my output made an impact. Um, and as with yeah. most creatives, it feels like uh, that journey is sort of fraught with criticism or with, you know, like each level that you ascend to comes with it a new sort of level of criticism. Uh, can you talk about how criticism has impacted your journey and maybe how you handle the challenges of, you know, criticism of creative output? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think definitely at that stage too, when you're younger or when I was younger, at least, um, I kind of identified more personally with my work and I was maybe more personally connected to it. But I think the longer you work in design or in any industry, I think you are able to sort of separate yourself from it. But as far as handling the criticism, it's not easy at first. Um, and I think, like I said, you're just, there's, there's more invested in it from an ego standpoint. And just from a personal standpoint, when you're starting out, and that can be kind of tricky. Um, I think at some point in my career, there wasn't a specific moment, but just kind of realizing, at least in a, a formal sense, as a designer, when you're working for companies, you're not you're not making things for yourself. You're part of a larger thing. You're part of a larger org, and you're generally trying to solve problems. You're part, you're part of the equation to help solve a problem. And if you keep that in mind, I don't know, for me that, that helped me understand it better and just kind of zooming out a little bit to understand the larger context of, I'm not just here to make stuff look pretty or I'm not here to make stuff look cool. Um, that might be part of it. The aesthetics and the creation is part of that, but there's a nonprofit that needs to communicate about a golf fundraiser they're they're holding that was one of my first professional jobs working at a nonprofit or they're they're hosting events and they just need you to communicate what those things are so yeah just trying to understand what the larger context is i think definitely helped me with some of that criticism and then obviously picking up tricks along the way to sell your ideas better or package them up in a way where you can get the best ideas selected, the one you actually are championing, and the other sort of lesser ideas, um, trying to not call as much attention to those so they don't get selected, <laughs> stuff like that. Because um, that's a big part of it, too, is just throughout working and working at different types of companies, nonprofit, education sector, uh, to startups, and, and now at Shutterfly in the private sector, uh, communication and 
knowing how business works and knowing how to sell your ideas and, and package things up is not just for designers. I think a lot of designers overlook that piece because they are uh, so zoomed in on creating their little part of it or, you know, they're zoomed in on their part of the equation. But, um, but yeah, certainly being able to speak to what you want or what you think the best solution is, I think is, is helpful. Yeah, that's some wise, those are wise words. I feel like uh, creatives either have that education in their business sense or in their understanding of the broader picture of what they're participating in, either through education uh, formally or through just sort of trial and error and understanding within their own workplace environments. Was there a moment where you were like, oh, it'll benefit me to maybe separate my personal creative energy from the mission or not maybe separate, but, you know, apply it with an understanding that you are, you know, part of the collective. It's like, we're now, it's more like right. ant thinking instead of like wasp thinking. I don't know. Maybe they're both collectives. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. I think if I look back, probably the bigger moment was a few years into working outside of of college, uh, working for Hamlin University here in the Twin Cities. And that was the biggest company I had worked for at that point. I'd worked for really small nonprofits. I'm talking like 100 people or less. And so at those places, um, you definitely are part of something bigger, but there's also a freedom there to wear a lot of hats. And if you're the person who knows graphics, you're also the computer guy and the person who knows, you know, you get defaulted and wear a lot of hats, which is great, but I think there's just less, um, it's less specific and maybe not as scrutinizing, but then at a bigger, a bigger place where there's admission dollars on the line and there's uh, programs they're trying to promote and things like that, that was a good education for me to understand um, sort of my role and then also understanding what the other roles were. What, you know, what is my boss's role in this larger thing? And and being able to identify that and then hopefully be able to give value and understand. Um, one of the things I always come back to with creative work is like pick your battles. I tell that to my team all the time. Uh, it's a it's a cliche statement, but it's so true. You don't want to go, you don't want to go to battle over an email banner that is going to be in and out the door and you're never going to see it again. But if it's a bigger, larger project that you feel invested in, then by all means, like step up, advocate for it and spend time fighting for your ideas. But because there's so much work, generally speaking, you do have to sort of pick and choose what you want to, you know, advocate for and, and spend time on uh, arguing sometimes or, <laughs> or advocating for. Yeah. Advocating. That's like such an enlightened term for like fighting for what you believe, you know, um, right. Is that, is that sort of a piece of advice that you would give the young creatives if they maybe struggle with, you know, their personal investment in the work that they're in their, in their doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I lead a team at Shutterfly now, um, as I maybe mentioned, and yeah, that's one of the things I tell them. I think I mentioned it on a call last week, uh, just about some projects we're working on and creating email templates and basically basically uh, kind of understanding the real estate of certain so if you're working on an email or a landing page it's obviously all the stuff above the fold is the best real estate because that's what people are going to see right away chances are they may not the user may not even scroll down to the bottom so if you have a great idea for a hero image or an animation or something like that that's maybe a battle you want to fight 
don't fight for the footer image way at the bottom that no one's going to click on or no one's going to see, right? So it's just kind of understanding that context and understanding, um, yeah, the larger the larger picture and and where you can have an impact and where you can maybe just knock something out and not think about it too much because that's there's definitely part of that as well in in design. Yeah, there's like there's a lot to be done and there is like a hierarchy of maybe importance of each piece. Um, can you talk yep. about being a leader? Sure. You you lead a creative team at Shutterfly, right? I do, yeah. So I manage uh, our Snapfish team, which is one of our brands. Um, and yeah, we we sell a lot of online prints and personalized gifts. And yeah, so I stepped into this role about six months ago, um, kind of on an interim basis. And then I moved over to officially being a managing art director. And uh, I didn't really know what to expect, and it's still throwing me curveballs, but uh, so far, so good. I mean, I think I'm just learning a ton. My motto is just show up every day, and then you can you can figure out the specifics, and it's gotten easier. Um, joining two in Q4 of last year was was pretty much survival mode, was like, let's get through the year. Not, let's not be too ambitious about uh, projects or kind of what we're working on, but let's get through essentially the hardest quarter of the year in retail especially it's just a there's a lot of stuff going out the door and our quality assurance uh i wouldn't say it dipped but it was maybe less scrutinizing than it normally is um so yeah helping them navigate that sort of thing uh trying to integrate on the team remotely has been tricky uh, like a lot of people say the biggest you know showing up is a big part of it over communicating um one thing i wasn't able to do last year was i guess have regular communications with the team members individually setting up one-on-ones and stuff like that and so that's a thing i did this year uh, in january and has been pretty successful um just to get a feel for how people are doing not just at work but outside of work and that i think has been good not only for building rapport with the team but also just yeah checking in with people to see how they're doing um that part has been difficult at times to just yeah keep it's hard remotely it seems harder for me even as an employee and also as a manager it's harder to gauge how you're doing it's harder to gauge um people's feedback because a lot of times it's written in an email or on a slack message and um yeah <laughs> i've had the best i've had yeah <laughs> emails it's can be interpreted many ways <laughs> exactly yeah Text, text is very flat a lot of times. And if you don't know the person, you may interpret it one way. Some people have different communication styles. So yeah, it's it can be tricky to navigate. And that's where um, I would say one of my strengths so far as a leader is just leaning on soft skills um, to yeah be able to communicate with people better, have empathy for partners and people I work with that I've never really met or worked with before, trying to keep it as personal as possible while we're using these machines to be human it's bizarre but it's 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 kind of one of the the things that's helped me a lot and then just popping on a call like this has been great for impromptu creative talks or trying to navigate uh timelines and deadlines with team members and i encourage them to reach out to me in that way and i'm usually on at least a couple calls a day where it's just a quick three minute hey what's the what's the deal with this you kind of have to manufacture that 
organic office environment that doesn't exist anymore when you can just turn around at your cube or wherever wherever we used to work however we used to work and say hey what do you think about this you have to like manufacture that now uh which sucks on one hand but it's also still doable you just have to kind of approach it from a different angle right it takes such a new way of creative problem solving and i feel like with design i love what you said using machines to be more human because i feel like so often when we talk to designers or creatives everybody's mission is to sort of communicate this very human, empathetic, authentic voice through like a website right. or, a, or a web page or an email blast. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there is something to be said for a collective of designers working in a same space and being able to look over and be like, oh, I like what you did there. I'm going to use some of that. Can I borrow that? Yep. Can we, you know, like there is a very collaborative yeah. spirit that, I could see suffering in a remote space because now we're all sort yep. of as creatives, you know, so, so isolated. Right. Right. Yeah. One thing I haven't done yet, but I stole the idea from one of the teams on Shutterfly uh, because we used to do it was, I think it's called, it's either mural or Miro board, but it's essentially a board freehand does one to envision where, yeah, you can throw your projects up on there. You can upload JPEGs. You can even sync them from sketch or, Photoshop, whatever you work in. Uh, but that's one thing I want to do with my team I haven't done yet, uh, just so you can see what other people are working on. Because right now, I'm the only one on the team who sees what every single person works on because I review all the work. And that can lead to some brand inconsistencies and just lead to people kind of designing in a vacuum, uh, which is not good when you're at a brand, right? You want stuff to be consistent. You want it to be all of the same voice and tone and all that. Um, so that's something that we're working on for this year is to, yeah, increase some of that um, visibility on what, you know, what creative projects people have. And then I think there was also someone on my team throughout last week, like having sort of like working sessions for tips and tricks and different, you know, in Photoshop, and we're working on sketch right now. Um, I'm kind of rolling out a a program to teach uh, Sketch, which is more for UX UI design, but it's a really helpful tool. And yeah, just keeping people learning, keeping people interested and stimulated on the team is has been good. And I think is a good path forward to like stay connected, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's so important. And think about like, what a amazing boom it's been for collaborative work tools. <laughs> like, just, right? Yeah, you exactly. Know, thinking about things like Miro, where you're like, wow, they really, I'm sure their eyes lit up and were like, we have all the possibility ahead of us. Yeah, um, yeah. Or even Zoom, Zoom oh blew up and now there's so many. I mean, we use Teams at work, which is okay, but yeah, like every one of them is just getting maxed out, you know, as people are just using them every day because they, they kind of have to. Yeah, and I wonder, I wonder if it ever goes away. I feel like we've, now that we have this capability and we were kind of forced into a new paradigm, I wonder if this just sort of right. is part of our, I mean, I'm sure it is. It's, we're in the future. Yeah, Talking I think it's, phone, I, yeah. <laughs> video phone. <laughs> yeah, video phone. Yeah, you're so right though. When we were kids, it was definitely this thing of the future. And now it's yeah. like, I can FaceTime with my parents or with my in-laws and it's not a big deal. That's just a daily thing, um, which is was so far-fetched when I was a kid. Uh, so I think it is definitely a part of it. I'm curious to see yeah, how it all shakes out kind of post-pandemic. What's that going to look like? Every company is kind of navigating it differently. Um, at Shutterfly, it's pretty much essential workers are in the office and then everyone else who doesn't have to be isn't in the office. And so 
Um, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Um, my hope is that it goes to more of a hybrid approach selfishly because I, I think I thrive better in that scenario. Um, but if this is what we got, then we'll make it work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's wise words. Um, do you have any personal passions that maybe have, uh, helped your creative life or been, been sort of integral to your creative development? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think one of the things I mentioned earlier, so uh, getting into like skateboarding at a young age, young age was really helpful. Um, not just for, I think in, in terms of creativity, cause it exposed me to a lot of art and culture and things I maybe wouldn't, wouldn't have known about otherwise. Um, but then just in terms of art and skateboarding is like art or like music or really anything in life that's worth a damn <laughs> is a uh, failure, like a big chunk of it's failure. Uh, especially when you start out, you know, 80, 90% of it is going to be you trying things that don't work. And uh, it's not really about, it's not really about, um, you know, falling necessarily because it's going to happen. You're going to fall. It's more about what do you do about it? What do you get back up? Do you try again? Do you learn from it? Do you try stuff differently? And I think uh, in terms of skateboarding, that definitely instilled that in me and it's kind of carried over into art and design in terms of um, iterations, trying stuff, seeing what works, taking out stuff that doesn't work, doubling up on the stuff that does work, and then just, you know, keep pushing the boulder up the hill, right? Because you got to keep, you got to kind of keep, um, keep at it in order to kind of hone your craft and, and sharpen the blade. And so, yeah, just getting those reps in and being consistent and like persevering. And um, yeah, I think that stuff has translated a lot from sort of my personal passions over into into design and, and sort of my career. Uh, yeah, I love sense. that. <laughs> and like getting really good at running from security guards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fortunately, I didn't have a ton of run-ins, but I definitely have had some, uh, a couple come to mind. But yeah, I think I think just, yeah, navigating those sort of unforeseen areas too and, and doing this thing that it, at least back then was a little more like, yeah, the running from security guard, now it's in the Olympics. So it's a little more accepted. what an amazing thing. So I, I have a confession yeah. and I feel like I need to preface this by being like, this is kind of something that now I was ashamed of, but in the late nineties when I was a teenager, I was like a huge rollerblader. And this was in a time when like okay. rollerblading was like skateboarding. Yeah, yeah. It was like, this aggressive, cool, alt, you know, yeah, kind of like totally. counterculture yes. thing. And it was yep. like before rollerblading's yep. infamous downfall, but rollerblading was like the marquee event at the X Games and stuff. Um, yeah, and I say yeah. that now and I Yeah, get, it was a, was a big thing. Yeah, it was like, I get met with like eye rolls, <laughs> but I'm like, I kind of get it. You know, I remember going to the rails and like doing skate park <laughs> yeah. stuff. Um, but yeah, no, I, I will, uh, I will give you, I'll give you, I'll give you credit for that and acknowledge <laughs> that. I think at the time it was sort of like a, you get, pitted, you get pitted against each other. Now it's, um, all the skaters hate the scooters, like scooter kids, yeah. you know, the little yeah. scooters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to me, I'm just like, if you're out there doing your thing and you're getting exercise, like have fun. I don't really care. You know, I think it's cool, um, for anyone, BMX rollerblading it's all good you know yeah just learn time. learn the rules of at the skate park and you're fine <laughs> but uh <laughs> yeah what an amazing thing those scooters have become like that i had no that would never have crossed my mind as a possibility that those have become like this extreme sports thing oh they do crazy stuff yeah they, yeah. they do all kinds of stuff on there 
not to get too far into the world of <laughs> alternatives <laughs> to skateboarding. Uh, what are what are some of the things that you're excited about right now that you're working on at Shutterfly? Yeah, I think I can. I think I can give you some general some general stuff. I would say for this year, um, one of the things, not just our team, but the teams I'm on in general, is doing a lot of testing. Um, so I can't go into the specifics, obviously, but yeah, we're working on a lot of testing with like our email and web experiences to kind of develop like AB AB uh, style split tests that are going to affect user experience. And then just learning from those experiences, uh, using data to inform design decisions, which I'm super excited about because I think a lot of times companies overlook that. Anytime that design solutions can be informed by data, I think to me that's a win uh, because it means you're listening to your customers and you're listening to the users of your products rather than just kind of going on your own intuition or thinking you know what, what's, uh, what the solution is. Um, so yeah, I'm excited for that. Otherwise, one thing that Shutterfly and then Snapfish has been doing really well is they're starting to ramp up their partnerships, which I'm excited about. I don't have a direct hand in a lot of these. I'll just be completely honest, but um, it's fun to see. It's like collabs have been a thing for a while now, um, but I'm excited to see more like partnerships and um, Shutterfly partnerships with uh, or partnered with Marie Kondo last year. She has a brand Whoa. called Honmari, I think it's called. Mm. And that's been that's been pretty successful. That's worth checking out. And then The Onion, uh, we did a series yes. of mugs with The Onion, which are awesome because it's one of my favorite satirical newspapers. Probably my favorite satirical newspaper, I'll just say. Yeah, um, they're, they're the good. Even though it's all online now. Yeah, totally. Um, so we did one with them. There's more more to come on that. And then Snapfish, we did a recent partnership with T-Mobile on some promotions. And so, yeah, I'm excited for that stuff. Like I said, just generally being part of the company and knowing that they're looking out outside of um, sort of our sphere to, to hopefully have influence with other brands and partner with other brands is exciting to me. Nice. And for... For those who don't know, do you mind just talking about the difference between Shutterfly's mission and maybe Snapfish's mission or what differentiates those brands? Yeah, so Shutterfly is uh, the parent brand and then we've got Snapfish, Spoonflower and Tiny Prince. Most of those fit under the joke of, uh, we always joke at work that Shutterfly acquires companies with SF as the initials. Um, so yeah, so they're, they're the parent brand and then Snapfish and Spoonflower and tiny prints are, are kind of underneath each other. So this next segment is Stand the Brand. This is a bit of a controversial one. People are kind of on the fence. So I'm excited uh, to see Zach's take on this and your take as well, Nick. So Adidas has started a Free the Nipple movement with a profound tweet featuring images of 25 unique women's breasts to promote their new sports bra collection that has 43 new styles. The hopes for Adidas were to spark conversations and highlight that breast damage can occur when not riding, wearing the right sports bra for your unique body type. In addition to this campaign, there's going to be others that call out the downsides of poorly fitting sports bras, including when they aren't properly sized and highlighting prolonged issues of fit and function, especially among female athletes, uh, even starting in the age of like 16 on up. So Zach, do you stand with the brand Adidas or do you take a seat? Um, this was an interesting one. So I am not really active on social media from a personal standpoint. I don't, I'm not, not active, but I still heard about this. Yeah. So I heard about this. I, I can't remember where if it was on LinkedIn or just organically on the internet right. somewhere. 
so I would say from that perspective, it was effective, right? I, yeah. as, as someone who's not an active social media user, I heard about it. Um, I think one of the things that they did well is they were able to portray breasts in a way that aren't sexualized, which is a really funny thing that we do in our culture where like nudity is just automatically equates to sexuality, which is not yes. necessarily the case. And so I think they did a good job of kind of portraying it objectively. I would have liked to see them maybe go full on for social media and like get banned or I don't know, just be like yeah. more bold with it. I mean, <laughs> I know they maybe can't do that, but um, it's just it's a funny thing because it's not controversial to me. Like nipples are just part of life. And I don't, yeah. I don't know. It's, just, <laughs> it's silly that people are so offended by it. Um, but from a design perspective, too, I guess I'm more curious um, is I would ask the people who it's intended for, like, was it successful or, or does it does it ring true? So Mackenzie is a woman. Is that is it valid? <laughs> you know, I'm not yeah. a user of the product, so yeah. I can't really like. No, I I knew you were going to kill this one. So uh, I would say they did a really great job. I was. So the reason it was only on Twitter, which I thought was interesting too, like you just said, is it's not supposed to be sexualized. It's just supposed to like, it's just supposed to be how it is. I ran for over half my life. And that was one of the biggest things was like every single year have to get new sports bras. And that was like the weirdest thing to go in. Like, which do I get? You know, am I going to feel comfortable? There's like rules about colors of sports bras and their uniforms and stuff. Um, I thought they did a really great job of that, but I would have liked to see a little bit more even on Instagram or Facebook. But the reason they didn't even do it on Instagram or Facebook was because they would automatically get pulled off, which is so interesting because some of the images that are allowed up, it's kind of interesting how people are able to almost hack this. Yeah. Hack the system, get around it. And I feel like this is such a huge uh, piece that a lot of people can speak on and just feel feel or even seen and heard. So I would have liked to see more of like pushing the envelope on it. I think it's a genius way of what they did with just the image and keeping it very simple and clean um, and having 43 new styles because that's that's awesome. I mean, that's like 30 more than <laughs> I had. Um, right. so I thought they did did a good job at that. What do yes. you think? <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I, I just, I am in full support of everything Zach said and feel like it's so important to, to not that it feels like destigmatize is the wrong word, but it's in that sort of thought bubble yep. of just bringing yeah. uh, these more sort of taboo subjects into the light and, allowing for more human nuance and human, you know, like there's, there's something really that feels really important about a brand as huge and recognizable as Adidas going like, come on, we should be, (laughs) we should be past this already. Like cultural culture should catch up to, uh, I don't know, but it feels awesome. I mean, it feels important. Uh, I think it's important for men and guys to talk about this sort of thing because I think it's it's just uh, it allows for a deeper sense of empathy in everyone once you know like that sort of part that culture has deemed oh this is 
a highly sexualized and, you know, off limits part of, you know, conversation. Um, it's cool to, to bring that back into the arena and just go like, we should, we should be aware of this and we should talk about it and we shouldn't be sort of squeamish. Right. Yeah. So I stand. Adidas. Adidas? I stand. <laughs> yeah, I, Adidas. I, I stand as well. I'm, I'm curious. I just have so many questions too about like, yeah, the performance. Like how, how is this going to play out? Will, yeah. will all these new options play out well and, and will it be successful? I mean, I think it, it hits on a lot of different levels. It like hits yeah. on the the free the nipple movement, which has been around for a while back when I was active on social media. I know that was still a thing just for artists and people who would sometimes have, yeah, that type of thing in their work. Um, they'd either get banned or get blocked. And so, yeah, it's interesting that they bring that back up. But then there's obviously because it's a company, there's a product tie in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's a I stand with them to conclude. Uh, we like to ask all our guests uh, three big questions, kind of open-ended, more philosophical questions. Um, so first, uh, Zach, what have you done recently for the very first time? Put me on the spot. Uh, I'll just tie it in. I'll tie it into our conversation earlier. So lead a team, lead a team remotely. I've never been in an official uh, leadership position at work. I've managed student workers and I've kind of had sort of elements of leadership in my roles but i'm officially a managing art director right so that feels good to step into a leadership role and it's all still pretty new to me like i said kind of learning new stuff every day and and trying to be open to where where the ride takes me i guess nice yeah i mean that's it's huge um and what a unique time to be doing this second question if you had to bring one thing to a show and tell, if you were invited to a show and tell right now, what do you think you would bring and why? Oh, that's a tricky one. I mean, I, I, I'll go I'll go personal on this one. So I would probably just bring a picture of my kids. So I have two daughters and what I'm doing outside of work is trying to, you know, trying to trying to bring up these seeds into <laughs> into the world and navigate the craziness that is the world right now. So yeah, that's probably probably what I'd show is a picture of my kids or if I could bring my kids to the show and tell and say here's Ray and Rita <laughs> <laughs> say what's up <laughs> nice and if you had to give uh, a piece of advice from your perspective now to a younger version of yourself is there a piece of advice that you would give yeah so I would borrow a phrase from a design professor in college and she would always say keep going you just got to keep at it keep going uh, get better at 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 work, at life, at everything. So yeah, keep going. That's what I'd say. <laughs> Mackenzie, was he, was your brother Zach an inspiration to you at all? Or how did, I want to get a little <laughs> bit into this family. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I love this. So yeah, I mean, so I grew up with three older brothers um, <laughs> and Zach, I would say some of my fondest memories is him. He actually taught me how to walk. Um, he'd come home after school every day and do that. And uh, I got to learn how to skateboard and I fondly named my skateboard Channa because they asked me one day, you know, what's your skateboard name? And I was like, Channa, Channa lives. Um, <laughs> so I was, I mean, I was out there skateboarding with them. And I think that's one of the best things was just knowing that I could keep up with them, even though like they were a lot older than me, that was never a hurdle for me in a way I would say. Um, and just seeing that, I would say 
I also want to give like a hat nod to our parents because they both had, they both went to college and did have art degrees as well as others. And having a creative family, they were always supportive of us. If we wanted to, you know, I've gone to some of Zach's art shows and being able to see that I have, I still have like one of his t-shirts with his designs on it. And seeing that you could make something tangible uh, that is just makes you happy and that can spark something and that you can see other people wearing it. That just kind of gave me an aha moment of, I don't have to do everything, you know, by the book of, you don't have to work at a certain thing. So to me, I was always inspired by marketing, whether I saw certain designs. Um, Something I remember as a kid was like, I loved the designs on snowboards and skateboards. And I would like remember why they sparked my interest, whether it was because of the color or how the design was set up, um, as well as if we did any like going to grandma and grandpa's or something looking at, I was, I like to look at billboards and I kind of finally connected it as an adult of, oh, as a kid, I already knew the ones that I liked was because of how the marketing was done, whether it was the colors or anything like that. So I would say Zach was a huge influence of making sure to always keep and tap into that creativity, even as you grow up, because I think that's a huge piece that can be pushed aside if you let it. And that's allowed me to tap into creativity and being the position I am today at Brand Folder. Um, That's been one of the most fun things is every day I get to be creative and think of new ways and do A-B testing instead of, you know, this is the only way you can do it it's open just kind of the slew of these are all these different avenues that I'm able to pursue. And I'm super thankful for that. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Zach, for taking the time. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks, Zach. Yeah. Great. It was great to be here. You're listening to a brand folder podcast where we like to say strong brands live here. Join us as we build The Brand Collective, a podcast for anyone curious about the people behind the brands that we all love. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. And if you feel inspired, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Until next time, this has been The Brand Collective.